and it's time for Press Play on Tape podcast episode 30. I'm your host Aaron and joining me is my MSX comrade in arms Tony Cruz. How are you sir? Oh excellent excellent and um, didn't we both have a wonderful weekend on a little bit of a road trip? We did have a road trip. No scary dungeons this time or other no. weirdness just pinball pinball and more pinball. And I think I've already said it in um, one of my own things that I believe I played more pinball over the weekend that I've actually played previously in my life. I, yeah, I, I believe it. The Given that we had something like, in theory, it was meant to be 25 machines, but after a few sad breakdowns and other things, it was probably closer to about 21, 22, but that's still a pretty obscene number for three houses worth. And, and a nice variety from different ages too, so... Mm. both old old and new yeah oh look getting getting sort of actually have a bit of a look in and hands-on with some of the old electromagnetic stuff from the early 70s was was interesting to look at they're uh almost as you know, they are a unique piece of history in themselves and scare me more than working on a um <laughs> any of the computers i've picked up because they are terrifying oh and the amount of complexity in those is, is uh, phenomenal yes yeah, especially when you think about it it's not yeah, but um, yeah, but on that, I digress because we could probably sit here and talk about this ad nausea for quite a fair while. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so anything you picked up anything new of interest of late? Um, I did pick up. I, I found a uh, an extremely rare title for the original Spectre Video Computer. Oh, okay. Um, and it's um, I mean, I found it in local Australian eBay. Um, not a lot of people would know uh, what the title was, but it's a, an, uh, an RPG um, made in Australia um, in Victoria called Volcano Island. Um, and it was only also it's it's a fairly uncommon because the there were two models of the Spectre Video, the three one eight and the three two eight. The three one eight was the cheaper one, so there was more of those sold. The three two eight had more memory, mm-hmm. and this was a title that only worked on the three two eight. Right. So. You know, conjecture of how many of these were actually sold. Now, the person who wrote these games actually did write some titles for the Commodore 64 as well. Um, and I believe there were three adventures for the Spectre Video and three for the Commodore 64. With a crossover, I believe one title is on both. Oh, okay. Um, and um, yeah, it was just didn't pay very much for it. Got it, and it, and the tape works. Um, I'm currently um, working out how I can um, digitally copy that. Unfortunately, the um, the belt in one of my tape drives is broken at the moment. So, oh well, well I think as I, as I mentioned in the car, actually, I've got a, I've got a couple of old um, I got a Dick Smith tape drive here, or a, tan, a Tandy one, I think it is, that goes with my little MC10, um, and I've got a Rye, I think it's a Rye one as well. So I reckon I'm sure between between one of those, you might be able to get yourself a, a working drive to rip it. Yeah, and hopefully with that, with my um, I've got a nice, really good quality uh, audio cord, mm-hmm. and into the spec of the sound card of my PC, I should be able to get a nice digital capture of it, and then oh. share it with everybody. Beautiful. So it doesn't. So you're right in saying so it doesn't exist anywhere online at the moment. No, nobody online has a copy of it anywhere. So it has not been preserved. So wow, that's that's awesome. That is very very cool. So, Tom, ah, nice. Well, Tom, I will definitely be keen. Like I said, I have to swing you those tape drives at some point, then get help you get that sorted. Yeah, Tom, that'd be fantastic. Hmm. But, Tom, but yeah, other than that, I mean, myself, I've, 
you know, actually been pretty quiet. Uh, apart from I got given a uh, a nice big box full of Apple stuff a little while back, that including like an Apple three green screen monitor, um, an Apple two. Uh, what do you call it? The pads, um, drawing pads. Oh, t- um, yeah, yeah, uh, graph. Yeah, graphic, graphic tablets. tablets. Yeah. Wow, um, that's wow, special, Aaron. Um, but yeah, so that that I've got with that as well. I don't have the 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 actual pen for it, but I'm keen to see once I get one of my Apple Twos up and running to see if it actually still works. Um, as well as a gigantic box of Commodore sixty four power supplies that I don't actually know what I'm going to do with. Um, <laughs> you never know. You can never have too many. This is this is true, and hopefully none of them want to blow up on me. Um, but yeah, beyond that though, I finally took the plunge and grabbed one of um, the future was eight bits div MMCs for my speckies because I've been eyeing one off for a little while, and I'm finally finally got around to grabbing grabbing one so I can actually get some uh, SD card madness going on without having to worry about the the tape adapter to the Apple iPhone Lightning to three point five thing and that all that mess. Yeah, quite a bit of spaghetti wiring. Oh, it's it's crazy. And um, it doesn't help that Specky Tape doesn't work on iOS 11, so it'll be good to sort of not have to worry about any of that anymore. But, um, yeah, but um, we'll digress a little bit there. I mean, it's uh, probably lots more we could go on about. We might have to wait till we grab Damien back next episode and, um, yeah, really have a good catch-up on what we've all been doing because I know we've all had other stuff come up, so... Moving on there. So, look, this episode, we can actually mix it up a little bit. We're actually going to bring some Z80 to the show. Yeah, that's right. In this episode, we're going to have a chat with Keith from uh, chippyacamus.com. I hopefully I pronounced that correctly, about his love for Z80 machine code. And he's actually written a bullet hell shooter uh, originally for the Amstrad CPC. And plus, he got into that so much, he decided to convert it to, to quite a number of systems. Yeah, it's... Uh... It was a bit of interesting to sort of listen to him talk how he gets around a lot of the limitations that anyone that's ever used a, a CPC would know exists. So, um, but look, yeah, we'll definitely make sure that we've got all the links to where you can actually find Keith in the show notes. Um, and yeah, we'll also be back after the chat to just a quick shout out and wrap up. So, but for now, sit back and enjoy. Okay, in this episode, we're, we're joined with a special guest all the way from Japan. We have Keith from chibiacomus.com. Keith, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, it's, uh, look, it's great to have you along. It's um, it's rare that we actually have a, a guest that is involved with something other than the Commodore 64, so it's, uh, it is actually a very, very nice change. But, uh, oh, my, my, most definitely from my point of view, too. <laughs> yes, but... Um, yeah, so look, so Keith, those who don't know Keith, he's um currently been working on a bullet hell shoot 'em up for the CPC, the MSX, the Specky, and also it's the the Z ninety nine hundred expansion the, for the, the MSX. The, the, oh, that's true, but also the Enterprise one twenty eight now, um, another Z eighty based system that's very similar to the CPC. So it's four basic hardware systems, and also as you say, the V nine nine ninety for the MSX. Oh. Yeah, lovely, lovely expansion cartridge. Yes, it's very, very nice bit of kit. Oh, look, it's um, yeah, all, all foreign to me. Unfortunately, it's uh, MSX is something I've still yet to dive into, but that's hopefully not too much longer. But um, I digress. But um, yeah, look, Keith, what do I do before we get 
too far down to having a chat about the, the Z80 and all stuff like that. I guess for, you, for yourself, like, I mean, what, what's your background on things? I mean, you, you're obviously a, a, a big fan of the CPC, given that uh, that was your, the first platform you led led with well, your um, game on. So what's yeah? What, where did you start? Well, I mean, just to give you a brief sort of background of how I got into computers, um, my dad was sort of using the computers in the very early 80s when I, I was born in 1980. And he, um, he started on the... Um, ZX81, I believe, first, which was he bought them for um, use in his work. He was he was doing some um, mathematical stuff, and he was basically using it as a sort of advanced calculator, if you will, for the day. Um, so he bought the Amstrad CPC, I guess, as a sort of follow-on to that. And, you know, I saw this shiny box in the corner of the room that played games, and I <laughs> sort of you know, loved it, you know. But, um, I mean, although I've been into games to a great extent throughout the years on various systems, I very early on got into the programming side of it and you know as sort of time has progressed the programming has always been at least 50 percent of my interest in the computers so um you know i was a i was programming on the amstrad cpc back when i was about six or seven and i, I you've mentioned them before but i was big on the osborne books as well they were really what brought me into the programming of the amstrad okay. and very, um, very good set of books yeah amazing i mean you know it's quite possible i wouldn't have got into it if it wasn't for them or certainly if it wasn't those it was the Amstrad action type-ins because I used to type those in and mess with them like crazy and that was that was my programming at the age of sort of eight and nine and things so that's that's what got me into computers I moved on sort of through the CPC onto the Nintendo Entertainment System obviously just as a game system mm -hmm. and then as my father moved on to bet bigger and better computers, I always got the one, the older one. So I moved on to an XT and started with Quick Basic, and then I got a 386, and it was sort of Visual Basic for DOS back then. And yep. you know, then obviously university went to did computer science, and now I'm sort of in the IT industry sort of properly. And I mean, I'm I'm not a sort of games programmer or anything professionally, but. I do, yeah, I do bits of all kinds of computing, and some of that does involve, you know, small application programming or web programming and things like that. So, okay. I, I started at a very early age as a sort of you know, just playing around on the things, and it's ended up as my sort of profession. So, obviously, the, the CPC is very important to me because it, it, it's almost certain to say without coming across the CPC so young, I, you know, I'd probably be a mechanic or something. Goodness knows what, but it, w it wouldn't be a computer programmer. I sort of only got back into it relatively recently. All the um, hardware I used to own as a kid, you know, just got chucked out as it as newer and exciting, more exciting things came along. But then um, about sort of 10 years ago when I, I sort of money became more available as I sort of progressed up the career ladder and managed to buy my own home, I started being able to look at, you know, purely recreational spending on things that was possibly a little bit frivolous. And then I started buying up the old computers that I'd owned when I was younger or wanted to own when I was younger. And mm -hmm. so um, they started just sort of sitting around. And then about two years ago now, I um, sort of thought, well, hey, you know, I never got into assembly programming when I was a child. It was just beyond me. I didn't have the ability and I didn't have the information to do it. And I thought, well, I've got some time now, you know maybe I can actually sort of pick it up. And I started playing around as just this, well, there's no way I can pull this off, but it would be something interesting. And in the end, after six months, I ended up with a, a game that actually looked pretty decent. So that's that's where it came from. Well, that's quite impressive, yeah. You're, um, yeah, I mean, I know I've played, I know I have, I have played um, 
Chibiacum a couple of times. I, I know I struggle because I don't have a decent and uh, proper controller for the CPC that sort of supports the secondary buttons, which I know makes life right. a little a little interesting. And keyboard it, controls it, are horrible on any shooter. Well, it, I mean, it's I mean, there's two things. I mean, the, the the game was sort of designed for a two or three button joystick on the CPC, but also uh, it, it's. It's very much based on at least my experience of the Death Smiles game, which is where you sort of die hundreds of times, but on mm-hmm. the Xbox you've got infinite continues, so it kind of doesn't matter. And it, it was that that I was trying to go for. And I, I think a lot of people don't don't appreciate the game style, but I mean, personally the idea I was sort of going for is you, you, as long as you keep playing, you will win this game. You will die a lot, but you will not. Yep. You will not. You, you, you're never going to see a game over screen and not be able to carry on playing. Because yeah. I mean, personally, I'm I'm no good at shooters. I'm terrible at art type and things. So for me, I just wanted to create something that people could just play around and have a bit of a laugh at, and not one of these one coin shooters where you can play the entire game through without taking a single hit if you're really good at it. But as I say, I, I'm fully aware that plenty of people don't like that kind of game style. But I felt when I was writing this that I was trying to bring something that really hadn't been done before on the CPC or any 8-bit really. You know, bring something that that was a bit different, and you know, if it, if it wasn't really everyone, something everyone liked, well, you know, there's plenty of other games for them that already meet those styles. Hey, look, Darren Keith, just to say you're you're in good company here because whoever those people are that don't like shoot 'em ups and bullet hells, then they're no, we're not interested in them. <laughs> there was very much an idea when I was writing it. It was really well. It wasn't just what can I make. It was what can I make that's gonna not have too much competition you know there's no point me trying to write a better game than our type and graduates because those games are everyone loves those games can i make something that if it's not the best game in the world at least it's different you know at least as far as the eight bits are concerned so that was really what i was going for yeah made something a bit more unique and get and that's so it's it's covered a niche that wasn't covered before on the platform so and that, so that's it that, and you've um yeah you've shown some quite good um z80 skills there um ha- have you ever um tried the other side of the fence and tried any 6502 or anything like that well i mean i i've been doing these sort of tutorial series at the moment which is covering z80 but i am at, at some point sort of in the distant future planning to extend it beyond the z80 to 6502 and 68000 so mm. those are things that i have been looking at at a very early stage um and i mean by very early i mean all i've done is written a few hello world type examples on 6502 using um c is it cbm studio the um 650 the, the yep. c64 system i've been using yeah, that C60- and i've written yeah that is supposed to be yeah. quite a good um um, ID and, and platform to, to play around on. So that's right. So yeah, that's, I've been I've been using that to create, so trying to create the same hello world type examples of the of my my own tutorials, but on the six six five zero two for the um, Commodore sixty four. And I've done a, just some very early stuff, but um, I mean, at, at the moment, you know, the um, the Chibiakamas games as they've sort of reached so far have really been taking up all of my time. So it's not it's not been possible to sort of it's not possible at this stage for me to pursue a, a serious game on another system just because you know it'd be taking time from from the ones I'm already doing. But it, it's it's definitely something I'm interested in and and learning Z80 assembly because as I say I've been in IT for you know 30 odd years without knowing it. But then when you start learning it, you suddenly realise well there's things there's things that it's worth knowing and there's things it's worth being able to do 
on computers at the lowest level possible. Things like bit shifting and bit mathematics and, um, you know, coping without all of the sort of modern niceties that C Sharp give you. If you can gain these skills, they are really good. And being able to think in the sort of same way as the processors maybe think, because obviously Z80s are a different world to the modern um, the modern CPUs, but it at least gives you some understanding of what's going on underneath. So as I say, Z8, the Z80 I found quite interesting, but obviously the 6502, the way you program on that because of its structural differences is a very different way of programming. And the 68000, again, it's you know, just such a much more powerful processor and oh, each word, one yeah. has a whole different, you know, on the Z80, you, you've got all these registers, you use all the registers. On the 6502, you've got four, is it? It's virtually no registers. So a different way of programming there. And then the 68000, you've got like underlying operating systems and protection and things. So I, I do really want to sort of go into those other ones, but it's just trying to find, it, it's trying to have enough time to do that without, abandoning the z80 because i know i'll forget it again in 12 months if i if i don't keep it up yeah correct that's what once you start into a particular one it's it's keeping keeping the language up um and i've only i've only been able to make progress on the 6502 because i've been programming a nest game for quite some time now so yeah well i say it's i mean it's definitely something i'd like to to look at at one stage but at the moment there's a lot of the things i can think of i could do on the z80 so um Mm. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere near. If one day I think no, I, I can't do any more on the Z80, I've, I've achieved everything I can do. Yes, it would be a time to move on, but at the moment, I wouldn't want to start from scratch on the 6502 when there's still things I would like to try and do on the Z80. So. Okay, so I mean, you, I mean, you said you moved on, like you, you did a lot of X86 stuff through your through your teens and like you know your early career. Like, was that all majority just C and the, those sort of languages? Well, I, I mean, to to be honest, the best best when I was um, when I was younger, it was always the basic languages, Visual Basic. The, okay, yep. Visual Basic, three for Windows, six for DOS, things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean. A lot of the time in, in the small companies I've worked, you know, you never tend to sort of get much above Microsoft Access in all honesty most of the time. So um, it's, you know, it's programming, but, you know, not as we know it possibly. So, um, I mean, I have done C Sharp in more recent years, but that was something that I only really picked up actually when I was writing as a personal hobby, my own Japanese study game. It was not something I used in employment, partially because the old IT manager was a Visual Basic guy and you do what the IT manager can understand. So um, as I say, I, I've done C Sharp in recent years. I have done C++ again, but it, it was a hobby. I um, I wrote a small video record, a video um, compressor and, and player for the um, Nintendo DS and for Linux, but I've never done it as a, prof- okay. as a profession in C++. C++. Hey, that's still pretty fancy. It's better, much better than I could ever manage, that's for sure. It's... Um... I think as listeners probably know, like I've, I, I steer away from programming because my head doesn't work that way. So, <laughs> yeah, no. You, you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to pick your, um, pick your area of specialty and some, to some extent, stick to it. I mean, I've, I'm trying to sort of learn computer repair for the, to repair the old eight bits and things, but it's like, well, it's, it's not getting in there, and I don't have time to allocate to it, and you know, it's like, well. It, do you do you want to be average at everything or do you want to be good at just one thing and i think at some point you if you can say well i'm good at this and i'll stick to being good at that that's that's probably your best um, avenue isn't it that's it i'll 
I mean, I'm, that's definitely my my uh, forte or my sort of area. Certainly, is the, the repair and the, the getting hands on mm-hmm. with the actual physical stuff. But um, but you're right. Like it's yeah, there are those people out there that get to do both and are good at both and power to them. But that ain't <laughs> me. It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, no, I actually just mentioned sort of Japan, and I know there's a few references to across the board. So you're you're actually based in Japan, aren't you? Yes, I am. I moved to Japan about six years ago now. Oh wow! Um, I it, well, it was I was um, I started learning Japanese. Um, it's quite funny. I, I back long, long ago, I was doing these horrendous train journeys every day um, to get to work because I didn't drive, and so um, I thought I was bored all the time on these train journeys. So I started. I thought I'll buy some books and read the books, and I, I thought well, I I've been playing all these Japanese games and I was sort of watching some Japanese cartoons at the time I think and um, so I thought well I'll buy a book on Japanese and oh in a year's time I could maybe get good at Japanese and so 10 years later obviously I still wasn't any good at Japanese but I was working for a company that had a Japanese branch and I'd been doing some evening classes and I thought oh what the heck you know I'll, I'll risk it and I asked them to consider moving me to the Japan office so I could continue learning and I was obviously sufficiently important that they said, yeah, yes, they do that. So that's how I ended up in Japan. And um, nice. I'd say I've been here for, been here for, it's quite scary when you think back, because I must have been learning Japanese for about uh, 16 years now, but I'm still not very good at it. But oh, wow. It's just, it's just the second language thing, unfortunately. This, you know, it's, if, you, if you didn't learn it by six, you're always going to be kind of clunky at it, I think is what they say. That's, that's fair. I mean, do, do you know enough to play like a, a Final Fantasy or something like that in Japanese? I would, I probably, it, it, it kind of depends. I, if, um, I tend to be okay at the PSP kind of stage because they, um, people who don't speak Japanese don't know this, but in beginners, I always think the kanji is the hard thing and it's not. The kanji makes it easier. Um, because once you understand it, then you know the words, even if you don't know how they're pronounced. So um, on the PSP, the symbols are quite big and quite clear, um, and so I can cope with that okay. But if you go back to the nest stage, they didn't tend to have any kanji. They didn't even tend to have hiragana. They just tended to have katakana, and so that's very hard to read. So I've got a copy of um, Maniac Mansion for the nest, and there's almost no chance I'll ever play that just because I'd be tearing my hair out. But as I say, a game on the PSP or the Vita, I, yeah, I can cope with that reasonably well. It just takes me a little, little bit more time than a native speaker. So, okay. it's, um, yeah, it's always difficult because I mean, t- it tends to be when I'm playing the Japanese games. It's not I'm not playing them because I want to play them. I'm playing them because I want to study and yep. <laughs> want to have a bit of fun in the process. Because if if I want to play Final Fantasy to fully enjoy it, I'm going to go for the English version. If if I want to spend six hours and feel like I've done something more than just play a game for six hours. It would be the Japanese version I'd go for. So I mean, I mean, I suppose on that as well. I mean, you, given, I mean, you're over there for a lot of us. That's the, you know, the, the sort of the trip a lot of us would love to make to go and you know, raid all the the hard offs and book offs and all the Yaki yeah, Harbor. Too late. And, I've been to all of them. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think I've, I'm starting to see a lot more of that happening. A lot more of people fishing them out. But I mean, how how is the retro scene over there? Like, as you know, you you often see the you know all these posts from people going, oh look at Aki and look at this place and I've been to Osaka and found well, all this stuff. But what's the actual, I suppose, the the non shopping scene like? like? Well, I mean, it's. It's difficult for me to judge because um, I say I um, when I came out here. I mean, one of the things I've I've noticed very obviously is I I've got quite a big PC Engine collection now, and mm. a lot of those I got from the so-called junk section of the hard off, which is mm-hmm. where you'll pay um, 300 yen, which is about you know one dollar US, two dollars US, something like that, uh, and um, 
you you would get a cartridge a cart cartridge for the PC engine, and in some cases a fairly decent one. I think I got a what's the um the, the pinball game Dragon not Dragon uh, Devil Devil's Crush. Oh, I got a yeah, copy Devil's of that for Crush. about five. I got a copy of that for about 500 yen in the junk section, and it works fine. Um, but those have all long gone because you know, obviously the price has, has escalated over the years. And I got old Game Boys and things that work fine in the junk section, but those have all gone now. And now, if you go to the junk section, it tends to be PS2s and PlayStation Ones, and there's just mountains of them that no one wants. So you've seen a progression to what I arguably would no longer count to be retro that I'm interested in. You know, you can buy mountains of xbox 360 games for no money at all because no one wants the things but you are going to struggle to go there and buy famicom games anymore that are cheap now there is a um, a lot of stuff goes on on yahoo auctions which isn't something i've sort of used so far because it's basically like the kind of ebay thing yeah and for non-nate unfortunately you know while my japanese reading is fairly decent you know i can read fairly technical stuff I cannot read at a native level, so um, I, I'm always cautious on the, the eBay types in the UK. Well, my chances of picking out the scams on a Japanese eBay are, are not going to look particularly good. So um, I've tended to stick, steer clear of that kind of thing, and just you know, when I do want something, just pay the higher prices that you'll go if you go to the sort of Akihabara type places. Okay, is there? I mean, is there much of a I suppose, like I said, a scene, so to speak, like, you know, the club, right. you know, retro clubs or places like that I'm around? Not, well, I'm not, um, I'm not up near Tokyo. I'm near Osaka. So okay. um, that's a sort of, Osaka's kind of your Birmingham to compare to London in the UK. So um, I'm not honestly aware of, of any real stuff like that um, in Osaka. Uh, we have, we have a, an Akihabara type place called Nipponbashi, but um I believe compared to Akihabara, it's probably many, many times smaller. And um, I, I've seen things like MSX meetups in, in Tokyo. Well, they, to my knowledge, don't happen anywhere in Osaka. So um, there isn't really that, there, there doesn't seem to be that kind of retro gaming community in the area I am. But um, I say, maybe maybe there isn't. I just don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's, that's, that's fair. Oh, look, it definitely is on the, definitely on the cards one day, that's for sure. Well, I would say, there's, I mean, there's certainly um, there's certainly plenty of stuff to pick up. Um, I've been trying to collect all of the, there's a, you can get a lot of sort of secondhand MSXs that are sold online, and they're sold as faulty, but often by faulty, they just mean we haven't tried to clean it. There was a one with a floppy drive that was faulty, and I just put some grease on it, and there was one that the keyboard was faulty on and i just opened it up and wiped it with a dry cloth and you know they work fine after that you just think well that was sold for half the half the normal price and you know you didn't even need a soldering iron so um yeah i i pick those up but it's i only really pick them up for the amusement of trying to fix them more than actually any kind of financial investment because as i say it's the, the problem you've got is if you really wanted to make money doing that kind of thing you'd want to ship them all over to europe and then sell mm. them over, sell them over there because you can't really sell them in Japan and make a profit, even if you fixed them. So, um, as I say, it's um, I'm, I'm sure there's money to be made by someone enthusiastic and entrepreneurial who is willing to, you know, haul everything over to to Europe and sell them on eBay. But um, I, my enthusiasm ends once I've got them working. To be honest, hmm. yeah, and uh, they're not light machines either. So that well, exactly. That's the uh, if you're going to ship anything, it'd be Game Boy cartridges, wouldn't it? Yeah, or PC Engine because the PC Engine definitely, yeah. yeah. It's um, 
Yeah, look, so I mean, you've I mean, you've mentioned it. You can obviously, a love for the, the PC Engine, and I'm guessing, given the uh, the, the, the decision to make Chibiakuma a, a bought hell, would probably suggest that you're mm. a, you're a bit of a shooter fan. Well, I mean, I, I'd say that the the bullet hell thing came from the Xbox 360 game Death Smiles. Um, I got a PC Engine. The PC Engine, the interest in that came from basically when I came to Japan. I'd heard of it, but I thought it was some terrible failed thing that had three games. And when I came to Japan and I'm like, well, there's all these games I've never heard of and all these cards for this machine I don't know anything about. And I think the first one I got was in the, again, it was in the junk section because they couldn't find a power supply for it. So I bought that for about $2 or something silly with a pile of games. Um, and it worked fine as they usually do. So um, I, so I, I got that and then I just started buying one one or two games a week. And you know, a few years later, I got got quite a lot of them you know so but um i mean it's it's i mean a lot of the um the systems i kind of find interesting are the ones that growing up in the uk i never really came across that probably deserved more interest than they got because mm-hmm. i'd never heard of a i'd never heard of an msx the enterprise the one i've just started playing with i'd never even heard of that even though it's probably made in the uk but um and then these are systems yeah especially the pc engine these are good solid systems that just you know no one ever seemed to mention or hear of or sell or you know they were just completely unknown and yeah. and it wasn't for they a justifiable got, reason yeah they got lost in the soup of so many systems being released i suppose and there are so many that's why i like um a lot of the um, systems and i've i've got a collection of z80 machines that use the tms processor that the msx and right. lots of other machines use and mm. there, there are just so many different machines um, produced from not just the UK and Europe, but also also Japan. Um, and, and they're quite an interesting part of the computer world back then. Well, um, definitely. Uh, I mean, the, the MSX, I'd, I'd literally never heard of that in the UK. It just, I think it was sold, but it was just something that, you know, you, you knew people who had Spectrums and Commodores and CPCs, but... I, you, know, you never heard of anyone with an MSX. You never heard of anyone wanting one. It was just a, an unknown system. So that, that, when I when I found out it was kind of the primary system in Japan, it was quite a shock. So um, that that was part of what tried encouraged me to try and port my game to it. And I am hoping to get a Japanese release of the game, a Japanese language release, just for a bit of a laugh. So. Oh, hey, that's cool. That's, that's very cool. cool. Yeah. So Tom. Well, I suppose, I suppose on the topic of um, Chibi Akimas, I mean, you, you mentioned like, you know, Death Smile being, I suppose, the inspiration that sort of what made you decide to go that path. I mean, was was that the predominant, like the predominant inspiration or are there other games in that genre that you've you've always well, enjoyed? Well, I mean, my my sort of decision for making the game was a bit backwards. I'd been, I'd spent like an entire weekend reading Amstrad Action magazines on Archive.org and I sort of, you know, you get these sort of crazy ideas and I thought, oh, I could write the assembly game. I never wrote. I write an assembly game, but I, I had no idea what game to make. And I, you know, I was kind of trying to brainstorm good ideas, and I couldn't come up with any. So I ended up thinking, well, instead of thinking what kind of game to make, what do you actually want to do? And what I really liked that I'd never really felt I'd had a chance to do, and really didn't see enough of other people doing, was the trick of switching the colours mid-screen so that you got lots of colours on screen at the same time. But th- this is a sort of raster effect, so it only works horizontally. And so I'm like, yeah. well, you know, you need you need like a horizontal shooter then. You know, that's that's what's going to work well with this effect. But then the other problem with CPC is it's got no hardware sprites. 
it's like, well, yeah, what, what, what can you, what can you do that's going to really take advantage of a system with no hardware sprites? That's going to be a bit different. And you think, well, the bullet hell shooters, they've only been around for 10 years, way after the CPC was around and they're all tight. All the bullets can be tiny dots. So you can, you can really avoid all the limitations of the CPC. And maybe if, if by some miracle I can pull this off, I can make something that's new, something that looks good because of the color switching in the mode one high resolution. And, you know, with this crazy action of all these bullets on screen, I, I never thought I could pull it off. I, I was expecting the, the frame rate to be horrible, but somehow I managed to make it vaguely playable. So it was really quite remarkable. Now, of course, the problem with that was porting it to the MSX. The MSX graphics chip is very, very different to the CPC one. So yes. All of the all of the tricks that I designed the game to work with on the CPC worked basically fine on the Spectrum, but the MSX it was just, and I I really again I really didn't think it could do it. I thought it's 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 it, it, it's it's strengths and weaknesses are just the complete opposite of the CPC. It's going to be it's not going to play well. But um, I got some good advice on the MSX org forums, and um, I guess I was a bit lucky and managed to again pull it off. And it's it's actually faster on the MSX than the CPC in the end. I think. So you wow, cool! Yeah, I haven't so... actually checked out the uh, MSX version yet. So, well, the the, um, the MSX two version, uh, as I say, is it's a, it's about the same speed, and I think it is actually slightly faster than the CPC version. And then you've got the V nine K version, which is using this external graphics card, and that's just like extremely fast. It's it's more a case of how can you can you slow it down enough to make it playable on that thing because it's so fast. Do you have one of those, Tony? Yeah, I do. Remember the um, um, Golden X type game I showed you? I think I vaguely remember it. I don't know. We've played a lot of games. Probably need to do that <laughs> again. Get do that again sometime. Um, okay. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe it's, we definitely have to dig it out then. We have to show and have a look because that's yeah. Because I know one thing. The um, I remember the the Amstrad version I did find was. It did actually work, considering you've got games on there like Altered Beast and Midnight Resistance and that, which really struggled with those the limitations you mentioned about not having hardware sprites and not having a lot of that support that you know other systems did benefit from. Uh, yeah, it's like it, it does it does well. Like it, it, you've managed to pull off a pretty good pretty good affair. I just need to sort my controller situation out. <laughs> it's um. It's um. So you, I mean, you mentioned like with the working with the, the TMS chips, like in the the different graphics chip in the MSX, is like was was there anything specific you found that like you had to do differently to make it behave, or uh, only everything, only everything. <laughs> um, now um, on the Amstrad CPC, the, um, the 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 display is literally a sixteen k chunk of memory. So if you change a byte in memory, it appears on the screen in that exact same state. And the ZX Spectrum, while the screen is different, a different shape, and the colours work differently, you still plot a pixel, you plot a byte to a memory area of memory, and that byte appears on the screen. Now on the MSX, that's not really true. Um, the hardware is a set. The graphics chip is a separate device that's attached to the processor, kind of like a floppy disk drive, and you you have to tell it what you want it to do, and you can tell it well put this byte at this memory location in screen. But you can't do that for every pixel on the screen like you can on the CPC. So what mm. you have to do is you have to sort of, in the graphics mode I used, which is the um, an MSX2 only graphics mode, because it, it is different on the other modes. But what, what you have to do on the um, screen mode I used, the 16 color one, is you have to tell it, well, this area of the screen, fill it this color, or this area of the screen, 
copy it to this area of the screen, which is a completely different way of working with things. And so I had to rewrite all of my sprite routines because the way that works from the spectrum of the CPC just doesn't work on the MSX. Uh, and I had to had to rebuild the sprite data. And I did that by writing a C sharp sprite editor that automatically converts the files. And that's how that's how I was able to reduce the amount of time it take, took to convert to the Spectrum and the MSX. But um, the one thing that is quite interesting is, although the MSX, the CPC to the MSX is very different, the MSX to the V990, the external graphics card, in the way I used it, was almost no work at all. Um, I mean, really, the um, the V9K external graphics card is basically the same as the internal chip. It's just so fast you don't need to worry so much about optimizing yeah. for it. Yeah, and it's got it removes a lot of the um, um, horizontal sprite limitations, and and it does add quite a few graphics modes as well. So, one one thing to sort of note about Chibiakum is on the um, well on all the systems actually, is none of them use hardware sprites. It's all software blitting of sprites on the MSX. Because mm. because one of the sort of curious limitations of the MSX, it, the basic MSX2 graphics card is, I believe if you turn hardware sprites on, you immediately lose about a third of the speed of the processor, of the graphics processor. And it's kind of like, well, for that trade-off in a game that really was going to struggle to use the sprites anyway, it didn't make sense. So it's all software sprites being of, of areas of, of screen being copied that are invisible because the screen's actually four times the height of what you see. And so it copies these soft sprites and blitz them onto the, the visible screen. Yeah, and, um, yeah, because the, the MSX2 does have a, um, a mini blitter, and you can also um, switch banks. That's right. Change, change, change where the screen is in memory, so you can draw it in another one and then flip. And the the the, the way the game was actually made fast enough on the um, MSX and it and fast enough looking as good as it does is there's a bit of a trick. Um, you can. I said you can't access the screen memory in the way you can on the Amstrad, but you can access it in a way that's almost as efficient, but it's, it is slower because you're using out commands rather than load commands. Yeah. And um, what, what you can do and what I did, and this is what, where the MSX forum helped me out, is um, you can tell the screen to fill half of the screen, and then you can start byte, plotting data byte by byte using the memory method while the processor is still busy doing the other job so you can kind of get you can trick it into doing two jobs at once and that's how and so basically the gradients of the background are being drawn while the process is actually busy drawing the the mountains and filling the black areas and that's how the that's how the game has the nice gradients because i didn't think it was going to be able to and that contributes to the speed of the game nice yeah okay very good uh, that's that's kind of if, if you can do it that's one of the real secrets to getting good speed out of the of the MXF chip is you know trick it into doing two things at once and it's you know, it's a bit of a pain because you're almost you know, multi-processing on a Z80 but you, know, <laughs> you can you can literally get it to do two jobs in the time of one so if you can if you can get it your head around it get it working you know it's a it's a no-brainer really. Nice, you've definitely definitely seem to have a very strong handle on it all. So. Well, um, I, I, to be honest, uh, I, I don't really consider myself to be too a very good programmer. Uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that works on my game that's reasonably impressive is more a case of I sat there swearing at it for about four days and uh, messed with the code, and eventually it worked. And I'm not quite sure why. It's it's I don't have the best of analytical minds, and I don't have a great memory for these things. And it, it's it, a lot of it's come down to more perseverance and 
you know, just not really caring if I fail at it more than actually. I think there's, I think there's some guys out there that can like code these things on bits of paper and things. But I, I for me, it's there's a lot of trial and error involved, and you know, just keeping the bits that work and abandoning the bits that never actually seem to produce any results. But, um, yeah, well, at the end of the day, it's results that count too. So don't forget it. that. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you've just described like, you know, 90% of how most people have programmed games or things over the years that you can't all be John Carmack or um, people like that. I I think that's probably true. Um, But one thing I do tend to feel is that maybe people don't realize that's true. Um, I mean, I'll just give you an example. Um, The game, the original CPC game was 99% done and I was still considering not releasing it because I was worried it was going to be people weren't going to consider it good enough. And um, I, I think, I, I suspect there's probably a lot of people out there who would like to try to code, but don't think that they can produce anything that's good enough for them to be worth trying or give up early just because all they can create is a simple character art racing game or something. And I think yeah, if those people could can, you know, give it a go and, you know, not be too concerned if their games may, you know, if their games aren't that good or aren't the best things in the world. Well, that shouldn't be shouldn't be something that stops people having a try, and shouldn't be something that makes people feel bad about you know their achievements because anything you've achieved today that you couldn't achieve yesterday, that's something you should be proud of, really. Yeah, this is this yeah, is fair and valid. Yeah, very, very, very valid, and um, a lot of people, and I know a lot of programmers do suffer from that, that they're they are their own worst critic. And they stop well, themselves from doing so. And possibly, it's, it's, it's the beginner coders as well. Just try, try and have a go. And, you know, if all you can do is basic, then, you know, do basic. It's, it's There's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in it. And you know, there's, there's plenty of great and interesting things that people can create with very simple programming tools like basic or the development kits, um, you know. But... Okay. I'm sure, sure. There's yeah. lots of interesting things that can come from that. Well, this is true. So, I mean, on I mean, with your like your work with the the CPC, like what what development tools have you used to to build the game so far? Well, um, I mean, the main one I use is WinAPI. I use WinAPI for all my assembly, even the MSX and the Spectrum versions. Um, so the the game the game code is um, it's it's a cross compiled, but basically the the MSX version is about. 80% of the code is the same as the CPC version, just the graphics modules are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the game in, the game is assembled in WinApe. I use Arcus Tracker for the music. Um, the, the sprites, I use my own package for the finishing work, and I draw them in Kryter. So um, I say it, it, it's really WinApe is sort of the glue that allowed me to make the game. I, I, Arcus Tracker is a superb program, and I dread to think what my game would sound like without it. But... Without WinApe, I couldn't have got any progress in assembly language because I just didn't know where to start and didn't know how to debug. Nowadays, I can, you know, I can cope with the more limited debugging options on things like Fuse. And I've been doing some Game Boy assembly in Vasm, and I don't need a debugger anymore and things in some cases. But as a beginner, WinApe was just, you know, this this is the thing that 
if I'd had this when I was sort of 15, I maybe I could have learned assembly years ago because it's really the full package and the and the gate the software makes it as easy as it could be for you to assemble and debug and crash and reset and over, do that over and over again because it's all in the same place. It's it's just one program doing the assembly, the emulation, and the debugging. Yeah, mm. as opposed to the old days where you you you'd assemble it, run it, it'd crash horribly, and you'd have to reload That's it from right. whatever media and well. Ugh. I mean, yeah, exactly. And CBM Studio is 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 pretty good, but it's not as fast as WinApe. WinApe, you can you know you can you can compile and crash in seconds and try again. So I mean, it's kind of the case that if I was wanting to write something for the MSX tomorrow, it would probably still be faster for me to write it for the CPC first and get rid of all the bad ideas that I hadn't thought through yet in in WinApe's faster assembler <laughs> debugger. And then actually port it to the MSX because when you're brainstorming and, you, and your code's crashing because you've not really thought out what you're even trying to do yet, mm-hmm. ha- having a, having all of those tools in one place is just you know it's a, just a godsend. And I, I do feel that when I sort of started doing the programming, I was kind of asking myself, could I create a game that was of the standard that the developers were making in the 90s? And the answer is, well, yes, I have, but the answer, the true answer was no, I couldn't. The only reason I've managed it is because we've got CPC Wiki with all the documentation. Mm-hmm. You've got um, all of these um, websites with code samples that just you couldn't get back in the 90s. And you've got this WinApe assembler debugger running on a super fast PC that, you know, can compile in a, a blink of the eye and can crash and reset in another blink. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I'd have done it the way the, the code masters say they did it in their book, I, you know, on a, and an 8086 with a cable plug into a spectrum or whatever it was you know i did i couldn't have done it yeah or to to put it in context when i um wrote my early games in the early early 80s i was using a spectra video 318 computer with a rubber keyboard 16k of ram an assembler that i loaded from tape um i the assembler sat in high memory and i had to type the assembly language commands as rem statements into the um basic program and then do a user call to compile it, and then, then no, if well, it crashed, crashed, and it and it destroyed the memory machine. I lost it all. <laughs> no, I did. No, I, I if it, I could have, if I'd have been programming on that, then I would have, I'd have probably got nowhere past Pong and Light Cycle. It just couldn't. I just couldn't have done it. But uh, <laughs> as I say, I've I've read in the Code Masters book they, they were writing bits of code on paper and then typing them in, and yep. it's just like, no, I'm sorry, I. I it just, you know, I, do, I sort of design things in, on paper from the point of view of designing structures of memory and things, but coding without an assembler and without being able to save and with having compile times that it have, you have to add your tape load in, it just, I, yeah, I'd have never been able to produce anything of this standard. So it, some some people in the in the sort of community sort of, you know, they, they say, oh, the games now are so much better than the terrible things we were forced to endure back in the 80s and 90s, and you just think, well, those... Those terrible, in quotes, things we were forced to endure were miracles compared to, you oh. know, what the people had back then compared to what we've got now is just, it's just not comparable. Oh, look, yeah, that, exactly. You got it. it in one there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and you hit the nail on the head as well, Keith. Like I said, you've you've got the accumulated wisdom of 30-something years of people on the, the wikis and other places mm-hmm. like that that... Yeah, it's that's why we can have this sort of age of people rolling out stuff like that. That well, that's right. And and these days, yeah, I, I, there's been a few times. There's been a few times when I um, couldn't figure something out, and you just go online and download the the disassembly of the ROMs of the computer you're working on, and read through the ROMs, and someone's commented them all, and you just think, this is, yeah. You, as you say, you've got you've got 
two decades of all the best minds documenting and making this stuff public and you know in the case of the amstrad you know they've even opened the the owners open sourced all the rom files so anyone can download the rom files and none of this back back in the day you'd have had to scour the libraries for the assembly language book which you wouldn't have found and then that would Mm. have been that would have been the end of your assembly career. So. Especially in Australia, because the uh, the CPC and the Specy weren't weren't the biggest things here. Um, it's, uh, but um, it's interesting though, because yeah, a lot of the CPC stuff I've seen like since getting a six one two eight a few years ago and sort of diving into some of the more modern modern games, like it's just it's it's almost night and day. Like the stuff people are rolling out, I've seen demos that are graphically on par with some Amiga stuff um, and, you know, game, modern games that, that run a significant amount faster than what, you know, similar sort of titles did back then. So, yeah, it's... Uh... I, think, I think part of the reason for that, I mean, certainly from my point of view, is um, if, if I was trying to write a commercial game in the 90s with the tools of the 90s, which I've already said I couldn't do, but even if I could, I would have to be more cautious to avoid crashes, whereas now that, you know, I don't have to worry about my game failing in the market because there's bugs in it or it's not compatible with some obscure machine i can really push everything to the limit and if i find i've ever pushed it and the machine crashed it's just a few seconds of recompiling away so you can you can really you know take all of the risks you need to i know that amstrad aren't going to release a new system with an incompatible firmware so i don't use the firmware you can you can really just you can take every, you can take every chance and push everything you feel you can do without any of those concerns you're never going to have to worry about the amstrad releasing a more advanced plus model and completely ruining all of your optimizations because it's it's never going to happen anymore i don't know alan alan sugar likes money and with the 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 atari vcs and all these other minis and remakes maybe maybe he will go back there i think everyone would love it if he did but as i say it wouldn't it, it, the onus wouldn't be on me to maintain compatibility whereas if i was working for a publishing house in the 90s they would be very worried about you know what was back what what machine could come out around the corner what cost down version might have incompatibilities if i was really optimizing the code to the point of you know near destruction which is of course what well, especially the demo coders they're just pushing everything to the limit and you know maybe it doesn't run on half the machines out there hmm. so so i suppose you i mean you mentioned sort of you know you obviously your plans to look at other platforms and stuff. I mean, are we going to possibly see a Game Boy version? Seeing as there's a, a Z80 in that as well. Now, the, the Game Boy isn't technically a Z80. Um, it's a mm-hmm. it's a processor. It's a processor that has some features of the Z80, but there's a lot of features missing. So, oh, okay. um, and I'm planning to cover it. I'm planning to cover it in my 8-bit tutorials to some extent, but you can't even compile, well, you can't realistically compile with WinApe to the Game Boy because the code won't run. Some of the commands are different and loads of them are missing. So um, if you write a very, very limited version of the code, if you write your code with a very limited set of commands, it will Mm -hmm. compile on both systems. But to take a a game that is basically pushed to the absolute limit, as Chibiakum is, to my ability at least, on the CPC, a port to even the master system where that isn't a problem because it is a true Z80 in the master system. It's just not viable. The game requires basically a minimum of 64K and there's a lot of self-modifying code that wouldn't work if it was pushed to ROM. And um, there's compression on the files that's and it needs to uncompress the memory. So a, a system like the Game Boy with, I think it's got 8K of RAM or the master system yeah. with 16K, 
even even if the graphics hardware was able to do what I was doing, and it's arguable what isn't on either system, it's it's not realistically going to happen. But what what I'm kind of thinking of doing is maybe, um, as I say, these tutorials. I'm thinking of writing some very simple games, like the kind of Tron level of game, you know, very simple arcade games, and then writing some of those that work on all the systems. But um, Chibi Akamas is it's at the stage I can't even get it to work on the Sam Coupe in a credible amount of time. Not because the Sam Coupe is is less powerful, but just because there's different way the the, me, the way the memory is structured works differently because of mm. the screens the screen's so big on the Sam Coupe it's 24k so it uses two banks and that's such a big limitation that it would be a, a major rewrite of the same size as the MSX version to get it working on that system. So um, for for what I've done so far, it's not going to go any further. Um, Maybe future games will come out on the Sam Coupe because they'll be designed from the ground up. But if I was going to write a game that would work on all of the, on the on the Master System and the Game Gear or on the Game Boy as well, I would have to design from the ground up with the limitations of those systems in mind, and that would mean that the end result on the Amstrad CPC would be less impressive because I had sort of inbuilt those limitations into the code. And so that's that's not something I'm planning to do at the moment. I'm sort of aiming for the CPC to be the kind of base mark system because as I say, I'm using the WinApe assembler and mm-hmm. then if it can be ported to anything else all the better but at the moment the master system or the get and certainly not the Game Boy they're not things I would be looking at okay cool. so say, I'd, lo- I'd love to look at these systems like one day it's just you know you've got you've only got so many hours in the day and you, you've got to that's it you got to focus on what you can do I mean, with, with the um with, with sort of I'm planning to do a few small games based on the current game engine that will be shooter games, but not volatile games. And mm-hmm. so with those, I could probably produce a small single level game in about a month now. And that would be an all system within one month because the game engine is kind of now sort of set in stone and my sprite converter will do the converting the graphics work mostly for me. So it's kind of the other systems are now a free lunch from the point of view of mm-hmm. releasing new games. And then my next game is going to be a platformer game, which is going to be a big upgrade for the game engine because the current game engine can't do tiles. It's The backgrounds are kind of gradient generated. So um, there's going to be some more programming for that, but I will keep the file loading routines and the memory banking routines and the, the sprite routines from the current game engine. And again, I can now produce for you know, four systems and hopefully as well the um, Sam Coupe without too much extra work. And so it's kind of, I can write one piece of code. It takes me 1.5 the times, but the, the time developing, but I can aim it at maybe five different systems if I'm lucky. But with the Game Boy and the, um, the Master System, unless I really set my developing my technical standard at the, the minimum of all the systems it would not i would not get the saving and would, it wouldn't allow me to target more systems for the same time it would be targeting three systems for three times the time which is oh, well that's not oh, yeah. it's not helpful no not a good investment of time at all okay so do you have any i mean do you have any other plans for the series i mean you mentioned like you know looking at a platformer and you you're sort of pushing through sort of the uh, i know you got chapter two up now of the of it well i mean it, yeah, I, episodes one and two were basically two parts of the same game. Um, yeah. When I originally, I, the, the title is a kind of mythologized version of Chibi Akuma. And the reason for that is when I originally designed the game, I wanted it to be a two player and I wanted it to have about nine levels. But I I was looking at what I was trying to do and it was like, well, you know, I, I think what you're doing is crazy. It's probably impossible, certainly for you. And um, I think, yeah, I, I, I sort of thought, well, I've got to, 
at least aim for something realistic here. So I decided to cut it down to four levels and only one playable character, even though I wanted it to be a two-player game. And so I put the, um, I thought of calling it Chibi Akamas and then changing the name, but I thought that's going to be a marketing nightmare. You know, the name get changes when the second player turns up. It's not yeah. going to work. So the, the small S, the small S and the mis, mispluralization of the, the Japanese word was a kind of joke on the fact that, well, they're supposed to, you know, it's, it's not quite two, but it should be sort of thing. And then the second character came in uh, and episode two was, it was a bit like the Wolfenstein thing where you had the six episodes and each part was yep. part of the same game. So episode two was the other half of the game that I hadn't finished at first. And I was too scared to try and put the two player support in. And the 1.666 release, the new release, is basically what I'd always planned to do a new release. I hadn't originally planned it to come out on other systems, but um, the, the, the re-release of the first game was always planned and it was always intended that it would then allow the two-player support that the um, second game had that the first game was really always supposed to have. So um, the, the next game will be a completely different game, but it will use some of the same characters. And, I, I'm, you know, it's kind of... It's always, you know, how long can I keep the motivation going and to keep mm -hmm. this sort of crazy work schedule going? Because... I can think of, you know, three or four successor games of each of which would be a different style and would maybe try and bring in some of the other characters if the series is popular because, you know, no point thinking of new characters if the other one, the ones you've already got have more sort of scope in them and are reasonably well thought out. So I'd say I have ideas for the future of the series, but, you know, if 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 the characters don't inspire people to follow the series, then I'll move on and do something else. It's not... Um, that's fair. It, 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 it's a, I sort of, it's one of the things I, I say, there's, there's ideas, but, you know, everyone always has ideas. It's, you know, it's not the ideas you have, it's the ideas you can actually, you know, drag along until they become something in reality. And it's a, it's a lot of work to, to bring yeah. something from the idea that you had in your head six months ago to the thing you can now play. So. Okay. Yeah. So I suppose, and actually it's a, it's a valid, actually it's a, brings up a valid point so i mean you say like you know if people aren't interested or don't know so where, where can they find you so like where where can someone go and find find chibi Akamas and you know or get well, in touch I, with you if they want to chat well i'm hoping you can just google it because um i, I do own chibiacomas.com and i was even lucky enough to get chibiacoma.com which i was sure would be gone but it wasn't so you can just go to my website and if you if you google chibiacomas or chibiacoma it should come up but um I mean, I, I tend to look around Twitter a bit. Um, I, if people want to really know all the dirty secrets, they can back me on Patreon. Um, anyone who backs me for a dollar will get a weekly update of how horribly angry I am at the state of the game or whatever the, whatever's going on that week. <laughs> yep. But um, as I, say, I, don't, I don't generally like talking about games that I'm working on that I'm not happy with. I, I, I tend to, to wait until they're pretty much finished and I can show them in all their glory. But as, uh, it was kind of a quid pro quote for the patreons that well if you really want to know if, you, if you're willing to give me the one dollar then i will tell you all of the horrible secrets of the fact it took me two weeks to get the rle decompressor working properly because my maths is so terrible and you know whatever's going on this week and next week which mm -hmm. as i say various programming projects going on but um, sometimes they don't produce results and it's just very embarrassing sometimes that's fair. Look, I'll make sure though the links are all in the show notes for everyone listening as well. If you if you missed it, so yeah, we'll make sure you get all your um the bits and pieces of where to find you. So I should point out as well that the, the game will be for sale on Polyplay, 
uh, it's on sale now for pre-order and the game's expected to come out in about two months so if okay. people want to buy the physical release then they're welcome to do so and i'll be releasing the game for download for free and it will be open source as well shortly afterwards so oh, well, if, that's uh, good yeah if that's people want cool. to play the game for free, then go ahead. And I, really, I totally encourage people to download the game and just, if they want to have a bit of a play and change it and re-release it as their own version, I totally endorse that as well. Uh, I, I, that's how I've you know, learned to program over the years. So I, I, nothing would make me happier than people making their own unofficial versions. And the sprite mm -hmm. editing things will all be available as well. And at some point in my tutorials, I may, I'm kind of hoping to get to teaching people how to modify the game and make their own levels for it oh cool hey that's that's very fancy gee tony you might, you might actually have to um sit me down and actually show me how to use a bit of assembly sometime then yeah, between between, to, between between the two of you between the mature between the two of you can drag me <laughs> who am i kidding um but yeah you never know stranger things have happened it, it's it's not as hard as everyone says i mean there's it's it's kind of so it's kind of so simple the, the, the problem with it is it's, it's so simple you have to do everything yourself, but there's so little to it, there's very little to go wrong. It's the only, it's the only programming language you'll ever see where every command fits from one sheet of A4. <laughs> you know, you, you, back, back, in the, um, back in the Visual Basic for DOS days, you, you had a huge manual and you were glad to have it because you know, back when C Sharp came out, the manual was online. But with assembly, it's, you've got a, you know, a couple of hundred commands and that's your lot, and it, it becomes, well, okay, this is what I've got. What can I make with it? And it, honestly, it's not as hard as you think. Getting, as I say, getting pixels onto the screen, you can do it from basic poke commands for the um, Spectrum and the Amstrad. It's not, it's not something people should be scared of. And it's, as I say, just just have a go and just you know, be proud of whatever you achieve. You know, it's, it's true. It's a great, no, that's it's a great fair. Thing. Awesome. So, Keith, look up. Any shout outs to anyone you want to? Well, yeah. I'd like to um, sort of say thanks a lot to the user CPC Forever, who does the CPC Classic Gaming and Demos website on Facebook. He, he's been doing an 8-bit annual, and he's done a lot to help me out with promotion over the years, which, um, as I say, I mean, for, for me, it's just keeping the motivation up to, to, to keep working on these games is really the, the challenge more than the technical one. So he, he's done more than anyone so far. And then just a, a thank you to three users who are helping me with the international version. There's a Japanese gentleman who goes by the name NI, KRT17 who's hoping to hopefully helping me with a Russian version, and a Spanish gentleman whose name I'll probably terribly pronounce, Graduate Diaz, who is helping with a Spanish version. So um, hoping to spread the game out to all of the areas of the world, maybe. Oh, wow. That's cool. No, that, that is very cool. It's, uh, like you said, community. Community is, is what makes it great, and it's well, just... Yeah despite all the, yeah. the horrible stuff you hear at times and I know what we're talking about offline about, you know, the, the, the chaff that you occasionally get on uh, places like Twitter and that, but yeah, you know, the, the community exists and it's, it's that sort of stuff that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. I, I, as it's, I say, it's the motivation. Yeah. And as I say, we, we're just so blessed these days with the, um, the free resources, both, you know, information and software, uh, things like, things like Arcus Tracker and CP and um, WinApe that are free pieces of software like that, that you, you would have struggled, well, you couldn't have bought back in the day. So, I mean, all, oh, no. all these things are just contributing so much to the standard of games that people can make for no money now. Mm. It's just, no. we're just it so is. lucky. It is. No, we are, we are definitely in a blessed age, that's for sure. So, 
Awesome, Keith. Look, we do appreciate your time. It's been fantastic having you on. It's and um, pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, look, I definitely encourage anyone listening to go go check out Chibi Akamas and, um, yeah, have a crack at it because it's, yeah, and obviously any feedback, you can find you on Twitter uh, is where you, you yeah, tend well, to hang out a lot. Yeah, and on, on the if you if it's sort of version specific, then I'm on CPC Wiki and um, Spectrum Computing and MSX.org as well. So if it if you wanted to sort of discuss the versions, just go mm-hmm. over there and you know post in post in the threads on there because there's a thread on each one. So you know maybe spark up a bit of conversation on there. It keeps, oh, nice. the, keeps the game in people's memory, kind of thing. So oh, absolutely. At the moment, only the original Amstrad version is available on my website for download because the other ones will come out after the physical releases come. Mm-hmm. But um, say so there's some videos on YouTube if you just want to see what they look like and and decide whether you would like to purchase the physical versions or just just wait for the free versions. And um, anyone who backs me on Patreon gets all of the versions as whatever state they're currently in. They, they're all final except for the um, Enterprise version, which is kind of release candidate, shall we say? You know, it's. Um, mm-hmm. It's hopefully finished, but it might not because the enterprise is a system I'm very new to. I don't think I've ever actually even heard of it. So, yeah. Neither had I. It, it's it's very similar to an Amstrad CPC. It only took me two weeks to convert the game, so it was unbelievable. Very very similar. Ah, ah cool. All right. Wish I'll have to have to check it out. So, awesome, Keith. As I said again, thank you very much for your time. It's it's been a pleasure, and um, yeah, if we'll talk again soon. Thanks for inviting me. Yep, nice having you on. Wow, that was a great talk with Keith, and he really, really is into his um, Z80 and um, trying to uh, bring his skills to as many platforms as possible, you know, something like the Enterprise, which is a system you really don't hear a lot about, and he's having it going, converting his game to that now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I considering I'd never even heard of it before now, it's, uh, yeah, interesting to see that it's just... Getting, getting a bit of love across the board. Um, and I certainly know that when my, um, I eventually get myself my MSX2 and the, the flash card arrives, I'm going to be keen to have a, have a look at uh, how it runs on there as well. But um, yeah, it's well, well worth going to check out though. If you are interested in what, what he sort of had to say about Ch- Chibi Ackermans or even want to have a look at his Z80 ASM tutorials, he's got them all on his website, which is chibiackermans.com, which is C H I B I. A-K-U-M-A-S dot com. It'll be in the show notes as well if you want to check it out. He's got links to his YouTube channel as well where he has all his tutorials, much like Tony's um, Let's Make a Retro Game stuff, if you've ever checked those out. And if you haven't, you should. So, Tony, I suppose in closing, any shout-outs from yourself? Yeah, I've got a couple. I'd like to give a shout-out to a good mate, a long-time YouTube friend named Retro Gamer VX. Um, he has quite an extensive um, old computer collection and he likes his older stuff. Um, he's recently moved houses um, and um, so he's slowly resetting up his lab, as he likes to call it. <laughs> um, and um, somebody has donated him quite a nice 3D printer. Um, so he's been printing a few interesting things, but also he's been looking at older PCs um, and getting them running as well. So quite a lot of um, interesting stuff there for uh, if you want to go and check him out. Oh, cool. I'll have to throw that in the show notes as well for anyone that might be interested. Um, and actually, yeah, on that note, the old old MS DOS stuff. Like, do do you reckon we we need to have a, a chat about it one day? I reckon that could actually be a very good topic. Um, you know, it's a it's a very 
you know, the PCs go back a long way as well and overlap um, mm. with our other favourites um, and um, are quite often forgotten, both from a collection point of view and, um, you know, what things came from the platform. So just like Retro Gamer VX is getting and restoring old systems and getting them working as they were. Mm. Oh, well. Well, if anyone's listening and you, you reckon that'd be a good thing, hit it, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and let us know if you reckon that'd be a, a good topic for us to cover. But, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll let you keep going, Tony. Who else did you have to shout out? Uh, another Australian dude, Rob Caporetto. We've mentioned him before on the show. Um, he's been um, down and out with his um, Atari 8-bit stuff lately. Um, I saw a post the other day that he's finally got his uh, a new Atari 8 Oh. up and running so he's back into his atari which oh, is you know, definitely one of my favorites yep yep and again anyone that hasn't had a watch of some of rob's let's plays like he's yeah he is very good and thorough at what he does so big fan oh you got any shout outs aaron so look, first up obviously keith for his time it was great having you on mate and um yeah you're definitely always welcome back on in the future I'd also just want a quick shout out to jay aldred for the glencia keys that we gave away last month um if anyone missed out on our chat with with Jay about um, the upcoming Glencia sequel, check out episode twenty nine for a, it's a quite cracking chat. Uh, also, want to have a quick, just a quick thanks to Jared from Retro Revolutions. Um, now he's for those who don't know, he's a Kiwi based um, hardware hacker type that he's been building a whole lot of different consoleized computers or systems. So he's actually working on a consoleized Atari Lynx for me. Um, now I'll going to share the video a bit later on and given that it's yeah it was the brainchild of rj michael and dave needle i am going to totally claim this as vintage computers of sorts so fight me if you don't agree <laughs> um, also quick shouts to the ppot hardware guy you know who you are and he's been keeping all the arcade balls warm and safe so we love your work dude and also to some of our fellow shows so retro domination crew uh, they're back on the air if you haven't if you haven't already heard them they've had a few good episodes recently so you can always hit them up at retrodomination.com as well as Daz and Tagster over on the Arcade Perfect podcast where the guys go into some pretty robust discussions on arcade ports and fight to find out which is the best and the worst of the lot uh, and lastly but not least is JCVD we hope you're feeling better dude and we hope to have you back soon yeah, it'd be good to see you back, Demo. Absolutely. So, but look, and also to our listeners, followers, and supporters, we love you all, and we thank you for all being amazing. So, on that note, I'd like to thank the Academy, and that's a wrap. So, until next time, we'll catch you later. All right, catch you next time, guys. <laughs>